Well, I'm glad he thinks I'm good because last time I preached, I think it was, my sweet little niece was over my house and nephew. They had been in for Bob's, or for my preaching. I'm not sure for what reason. They were in here, though, in the sanctuary, and I was feeding them, and they said, you did good, but um, Uncle Bob's way better than you. I said, well, then give me back my treats now. And Brooklyn goes, her eyes got this big. She goes, no, 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 no. No one can make treats like you. He's just funnier than you. I said, well, funny and wise are two different things, honey. (laughs) So I'll take it. (laughs) So I'm just kidding. Um, Let's just pray real quick before we get into the word. God, we thank you so much for uh, the privilege to be in your house. I thank you um, for your Holy Spirit. God, as we just talked about, Lord, we, we want to honor the Holy Spirit. We always um, invite the Holy Spirit to be present. And that doesn't mean with sensational acts. It means with life-changing power. And so I pray as this church grows that you would help us to continue to uh, operate in order so that we can continue to see you move in the way you choose. I pray that as I speak, that your spirit would be in complete control. God, that you would help me not to speak again um, my opinion or what the word means to me, but what you are intending to say. God, let it just pierce our hearts. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today I am going to read a very familiar passage um, to you, Psalm 23. Um, If you have any sort of Bible with you, any source, you can read along with me. Um, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you say amen to God's word? This psalm was written by uh, David, who uh, scholars believe was probably a king uh, when he wrote this. He spent his youth as a shepherd boy, if you don't know much about David, And so he is writing from personal experience. It's inspiring him as he describes in detail in this chapter how the Lord is his shepherd. Something that melts my heart about this whole passage is that at the time of writing this, David is no longer a shepherd boy. We can imagine him writing this when he was a shepherd because that would make sense, right? He's writing almost journaling, um, about who he is and how he relates to God through this. But now David is a renowned hero. He's a warrior. 
He's a king. He's not a little shepherd boy. Yet in Psalm 23, he describes himself as simply a sheep. David is clothed in humility, and I believe this is one of the reasons God calls David a man after his own heart. Um, I want to go a little old school on you. In the days of MHCA, if you were an MHCA, can you get a woo? Stays? Oh, I got a lot of babies in here. MHCA was our Christian school that Pastor Bob and I ran that we love. Um, it is a passion of ours, Christian education. And every week at MHCA, I used to teach chapel. And my way of teaching chapel, I love God's word. I just, I love it. I love the stories. I love what he's saying. I love the symbolism. Um, and so I just love to go through and break down every verse. And I would go through a chapter with the kids, and I would just break down the verse and tell them what was happening and what God was saying and how he was moving. And that's what I want to do today with you um, out of Psalm 23. We start with the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. In verse 1, David is obviously saying, I'm a sheep, and the Lord is my shepherd. We get two concepts right here that are going to be repeated all throughout Scripture. Jesus is the shepherd, and we are the sheep. In Hebrews, Jesus is called the great shepherd. In John, the good shepherd. In 1 Peter, he's the chief shepherd. And the children of God are referred to throughout Scripture in various places as sheep. So before we jump into the remaining verses, I want to just take a second and kind of review sheep and shepherds, right? Because if we're going to understand this whole chapter, which is based around a shepherd and a sheep, we need to understand why. Why would we be able to place these verses and kind of correlate them to this relationship? What do we know about sheep? Well, we know they're dumb. Let's just be honest. Sheep do dumb things. Um, some of the stories that I have heard from shepherds and different studies that I have done, sheep can get trapped in the top of trees. What, what are you doing? You know, have you ever just, what are you doing in the top of a tree? We don't know. But sheep have to be rescued from tops of trees. Sheep are natural wanderers. They will wander and wander and wander aimlessly with no purpose. They will get stuck in swamps. They will get their heads stuck in fences. They will do ignorant things. Sheep roll over on their backs and then cannot get up. <laughs> so literally a sheep can die because it's on its back and can't get up by itself. I was thinking if we got to the slides, which did not happen because of life, but you know that uh, I've fallen and I can't get up? <laughs> That's all I was thinking about. I've fallen and I can't get up. You have to be over 40 to get that one, I'm sure. I mean, I'm literally like just. Bob is 50, but I'm just over 40. Um, sheep can die of starvation because they choose to walk in circles. One shepherd had a, a sheep that walked a hundred feet away and walked in circles with no pasture and died. The rest of the flock is right here. 
you are at the exit door walking in circles and die with no disease, no nothing. Sheep are known for not being too bright. They're also known for not being incredibly brave. They are fearful. They are timid. Thus the term sheepish, right? They are known to panic and run. At times, entire flocks of sheep can be spooked and run off a cliff. There was a news story in Turkey about 400 sheep that fell to their deaths after the shepherds took a break for lunch and left them alone. It cost the farmers $74,000. Think somebody lost their job. If a bear approaches the sheep, they will gather others in a pack and run in circles in a complete panic, hoping the bear will choose someone else. That's scary. Sheep are not brave because they are directionless and defenseless. Sheep are not strong and they're not survivors. However, consider this. Given their lack of brain and brawn, sheep are still prospering. In Scotland, there are more sheep than people. I mean, think of that. They are supposed to be the weakest, um, dumbest, we, we hear that, animal. And yet, there are 4.5 million people in Scotland and 7 million sheep. Not because of their instincts or their survival skills. They survive solely because of the individual who looks after them, the shepherd. It's all about the shepherd. So what do we know about shepherds? We know that they were generally unclean, or at least they were considered unclean because of the kind of work they did. As you can imagine, they were in daily contact with some dirty, smelly sheep. They lived among them. They were looked down uh, upon by many people. But shepherds are humble people. They're brave, they're intuitive, they're wise, and they're selfless. They do what they do because they love the sheep that they care for. A shepherd must possess a good heart, an intuitive mind, and a courageous spirit in order to be able to protect and care for his sheep. But there is something that's even more critical to the shepherd's success. The shepherd's ability to protect the sheep is largely based on a relationship he builds with the sheep. I, um, I found myself during the pandemic getting really irritated at the use of sheep in a derogatory manner. And Bob's like, well, they don't really mean it. Like, I know that Christians didn't mean it in, in context of sheep and Jesus and a shepherd. But it really just bothered me. It got under my skin. Here's why. Because the reason we are called sheep is not because Jesus thinks we are dumb. It is not because we lack intelligence or courage, although sometimes we can be guilty of this as well. But the reason we are referred to as sheep is because we are completely dependent upon our shepherd. We are dependent upon him for protection, for guidance, for survival. And I consider that relationship so precious. I want to be a sheep. 
I am a sh- I'm a sheep. <laughs> In that context, my shepherd is such a loving provider that I just can't even stand to hear anything that would make me feel otherwise. Sheep don't know where to find food, and they do not know where to find water. They cannot defend themselves, and they have no idea where they are going. Sound familiar? Anyone? (laughs) The goal of the shepherd is to provide, protect, and preserve. That's the shepherd's job. Everything that David is going to share in the rest of this psalm is going to fit into one of these categories. So we're going to dig in, but I wanted you to just understand the relationship there between the shepherd and the sheep and why David is using this. In that first verse, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That sounds wonderful. We'll get, we'll get whatever we want, right? No. He's not saying, I'm going to get everything I want. This means we're going to lack nothing that we need. There has never been an issue of God providing everything we need. The issue is always going to be the discrepancy between what we want and what we need. Entitlement versus selfishness. Contentment and trust. You can trust God to provide what you need. This is what it's saying. If you stay with the shepherd, you will lack nothing that you need. You can trust God to provide for you. You can trust him to give you what you are going to need in your daily life. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I laugh at he makes me lie down, but I get it. You say, well, I don't, I don't want to be made to do anything. Sometimes I would love to be made to do something. Like when you tell a child you, you have to go to bed, I'm like, you get to go to bed. Like I want to go to bed. <laughs> but I have to wait till you go to bed so I can go to bed, right? And kids, it's just funny the things that we make them do, right? Bathe. We make them bathe. I mean, <laughs> Sometimes... The shepherd has to make us lie down, right? And he has a way of doing that. Sorry. A shepherd also leads us into the quiet waters. If we will allow him to lead us, he knows where there's food, and he knows where there is still water or quiet water. Often we find ourselves in one of a few dangerous situations. One is we can find ourselves in a place with no water, a very dry place. We get off on our own. We start wandering away from the flock, away from the shepherd. We think we're fine. We think we've got enough to sustain us. But we figure out when we lose the source, we end up drying up. We end up finding ourselves empty and disconnected. Sometimes we're looking for greener pastures. The devil starts speaking to us like the serpent spoke to Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? God knows you'll be happy if you venture out a little bit. 
you don't really need to keep doing that. That was just the church's idea. You don't really need to listen to what, you don't really need to be committed like you used to be. That was legalism. You, you found the freedom. And we find the greener pasture of being able to be a sheep, but kind of be like a sheep that's like wandering. And then you're like, oh, there's the flock. I'll get back and get something to eat. I'm out. And then you go, oh, I'm thirsty. And then you kind of come back. And that greener pasture keeps you from really being part of that flock. Maybe it's a wrong source. The shepherd knows the source you need to go. He knows the water you need that will sustain you, not pacify you. A Coke will pacify you really well. (laughs) But if you're working and you're in heat, you're going to need something to sustain you. And it's not going to work with a Coke. You're going to need refreshing. You're going to need water. Remember that sheep are covered in wool, and wool sinks. So sheep cannot go to anything but still waters. If they get caught up in the water, they may get a drink, but they're going to drown as well. You're going to be tempted to find other sources, sources of joy, peace, happiness, fulfillment. But you better make sure the word of God is your source. It is the only thing that contains the truth. It is the only thing that contains the kind of water that is going to truly fulfill you and make you happy. When we choose to disobey and rebel against God and look for other ways because we want our own thing, we're actually rebelling against our own happiness. Because the shepherd wants you to be happy. He wants you to be filled with joy and contentment. That next verse says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That word leads is the main word here. Because a prerequisite to lead is to have someone who's following If no one's following, you're not leading. Another word for lead is guide. The Greek word for guide means to lead someone who's already on their way. Psalm says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit and the bridle. The shepherd is saying, I want to lead you, but you have to cooperate with me. You have to already make up your mind that you're going to get on that path and you're going to follow me. You've got to follow him even if you don't understand because the path of righteousness is not yours to fulfill. It's the shepherd's job to lead you to the path of righteousness. We cannot become righteous on our own. And that's the problem. We try. We get off on our own path and we try to check the boxes and we try to do and don't and this looks good and this isn't good. And we're under that pressure to become righteous without following the one whose job is to lead you to righteousness. The next verse 4 says, even though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of death, or in some, uh, some versions it says the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We went from beautiful pastures and still waters to now a darkest valley. Well, I thought the shepherd was supposed to be watching out for me. I thought the shepherd was supposed to be guiding me and leading me. How did we end up in a dark valley? Just because the shepherd is leading does not mean there will never be a path you will go on that will not be dangerous, that will not be frightening, that will not be sad. Stephen led us in a beautiful song um, about deciding that God is still worthy of praise. And one of those verses that was so precious was about being in the hospital. And some of you may not know that uh, Stephen, who sang that, lost his daughter in 2020 in a hospital. And she was not terminally ill. It was something that came on and was unexpected, and he had to say goodbye to his little girl. And he's standing up here singing, right? You know why? Because he has a relationship with the shepherd who picked him up in the darkest valley and carried him through it. Was the shepherd crying? Yup. You don't believe that? You don't believe the shepherd doesn't cry when his sheep are wounded? Yes. But that shepherd picked him up and held him and the rest of his family and walked them through a long, dark valley, the shadow of death. Sometimes the shepherd knows that we have to walk it. He knows there's only one path and we must go through it. You can either kick against the shepherd and say, I don't like this path. I'm going to look for something else. Or you can let him carry you through it. Even when we're sleeping, the Bible says that God is watching over us. How many of you know that sometimes nighttime can be the darkest valley, right? You're alone with your thoughts. You're trying to rest, but the enemy is just speaking words of anxiety and what ifs and, and what could happen and your children and your job and your health and that report and, and your mind is swirling. But do you know what the shepherd did in Bible times? There was a sheep pen where the sheep would go to sleep at night, and, and many shepherds would come and bring their flock. And one of the shepherds would stay behind, and at the opening of the gate, there was just an opening. The shepherd would lay down in front of the door. That way, no sheep could leave, so he was penning them in and protecting them, but more importantly, nothing could get in. This ensured that the sheep could rest. Jesus has got you. I have a thing in my room that says, give it to God and go to sleep. And I do that. He will watch over you. The psalmist said, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
There is nothing to fear when you're with the shepherd. Verse 4 says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A shepherd carried a rod and a staff. The rod was like a club. It was just a short, heavy, like, club. And it was used when the shepherd was in close proximity to the sheep. And he needed to gently kind of prod an animal to get back in the fold. So if the sheep was close, he could kind of get them and just kind of, hey, you. You know, a little pat on the butt, little get in line there. He could also use it to fight off wild animals. But the staff was longer and thinner, something you're used to from our little Christmas plays, right? The old shepherds whacking each other in the musical and kind of something like that if you need a visual. Um, this long hook on the end was a tool that the shepherd could use for the more stubborn sheep. Um, one who resisted his prodding, started wandering off, got a little far. The shepherd tried, but the sheep was still going to do it. The shepherd could gently but firmly pull the sheep back in with the crook of his staff. He could also reach down and rescue his sheep who was in danger by pulling him up. I had a little laugh because I was envisioning as pastors, we are considered shepherds. And uh, sometimes you need a little pat on the butt, right? Like, hey, (laughs) you, wake up. Get back in the fold. And sometimes we have to reach down and grab hold of you, right? Maybe in the spirit, maybe even in the physical, and say you're getting into dangerous territory. The psalmist said that the rod and the staff were a comfort to him. That's kind of odd, because we would see these as tools of correction. But God is saying, I promise not to let you get too far. If you commit to me, if you know me, if you become my sheep, it's not going to be your sole responsibility to get it right. The pressure's off. David could rest in knowing that if he chose to allow the shepherd to control him, that when he was going in the wrong direction, the shepherd would give him a little tap on the butt, right? And say, come on. Or if he continues to be led astray by an enemy or even by other sheep, and that could preach. If he's in danger of walking off a cliff, the shepherd will use his authority to grab hold of him and pull him back to safety. The rod and the staff are not sources of punishment. When God or even your spiritual leadership try to prod you on in love, don't see it as something intrusive or negative, but see it as a source of protection and provision. God loves you. And so he's going to make sure you don't get too far away from him. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is one of my absolute favorites, these last two. I don't know about you, but when my life is in danger, the last thing I'm thinking about is sitting down to eat a meal. I'm not arguing about what restaurant we're going to go to. It's completely unnatural to be in a life-threatening situation and also be thinking about snacking, unless you have issues. And I, hey, 
I'm not talking about stress eating. I'm talking about being in the presence of an enemy. Nothing paints a picture of supernatural peace like a formal table that is set with china and the most delicious food smack dab in the middle of an enemy attack. Just envision that. And that's what he's saying. Why does the psalmist use a picture of a table and a meal to make his point? One, when a guest is invited, he's given a seat of honor. Maybe God wants to give you a seat of honor in the presence of your enemy. He wants to use a meal to shut their mouth. They said you couldn't, you shouldn't, you're a fool, it's impossible, but God seats you at the table and says they're seated here in the place of the impossible. Look at my guest of honor. Look what I've done. A table is a place of intimacy. In the Bible, the table represented intimacy with fellowship because you were face to face in very close contact. It's a place where friendship took place. Maybe it's in this moment at the table when your enemy is pressing in, he's throwing accusations at you, you're feeling like, where's God? Where is he? I feel so alone. That Jesus says, come sit at the table with me. Even with your enemy present, I'm going to deepen our intimacy. I'm going to show you how you can rest in my presence to the point where you can want to sit down to a meal, even when the world seems upside down to you. As you engage in fellowship with Jesus, your enemies are forgotten in the background. And your time with Jesus and that table becomes the only thing you see. He will set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. In verse 5, and I'm going to be closing after this with one final verse. Anointing a head with oil was customary for a host to do for their guest. It's a very personal way to honor someone that's coming into your home. This invitation to the house of Jesus to dine at his table as a guest, it's personal. It's just very personal. He's saying, I personally invite you. I will pour my most precious oil on you. You who don't deserve it. I will give you forgiveness, acceptance, redemption, love. Remember, I shared with you the most important element of a shepherd's success is his relationship with his sheep. In John 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's a relational scripture. I know them intimately. I know all about them and they know me and they hear my voice when I call them. Shepherds could have up to 100 sheep in their flock. But back in Jesus' time, shepherds would spend quality time individually with each sheep, getting to know their markings, their behaviors. They even had individual calls for sheep. Kind of like we have individual calls for our children. You know, we have to change our tone for some of them, right? 
You know, we have to use certain language for some of them because some of them, uh, we had a joke that my dad would say, if I even looked at Dina, she'd start crying. But you could have taken my sister and, and done the worst possible things you could, and she'd be like, bring it on. We, we laugh about it because we were different. She thrived on just that, oh, you're paying attention to me. Great. Even if it's negative, I'm up for it. Like, let's have fun. And I was like, are you disappointed? I could just... but, but our fathers knew the different languages to use with us. Jesus knows how to speak to you in a way you will get it. He knows what to use to speak to you. The most random things will speak to me and people will, you know, I'll share and they'll be like, okay. <laughs> it's not really a God thing, but he knows me. He knows what moves me. He knows how to talk to me. He desperately wants you to know him like that too. There are so many voices vying for our attention and trying to tell us what to do and where to go. And yet, if we will get in tune to his voice, he will lovingly tell us exactly what is best for us. This final scripture says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know where the shepherd is going to lead you. I don't know what you're going to walk through. I wish I could, I could help you. I wish I could say it's always going to be great. You're going to walk through green pastures every day, but you're not. I don't know all that God has planned for you or where he will take you, but here's the thing. Wherever you go, you know what's behind you? Goodness and mercy. I'm walking through the valley, goodness and mercy. He's good. He's good. He's good. I failed. He's merciful. He's merciful. He's merciful. Get up. If you're a sheep, don't stay down. He's good. When the enemy tells you, look what happened to you, look where the shepherd left you, look at where you're at, you're lacking food, you're lacking water, he's not good, he hasn't taken care of you. Oh, he's good. Goodness, it hunts me down. If I'm a true sheep and I know my shepherd, goodness and mercy are going to follow me the rest of my life. That is a promise. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in his presence. I will always be his daughter. Nothing can remove my place at the table because this is his house and I'm his daughter and I was invited as a guest of honor. So nothing can take me out of that position. That is what this psalm is saying. He is our shepherd. The Bible says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. Jesus said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one else is going to lay down their life for you. Not the sheep in wolves' clothing. They may promise you something. The enemy's saying that situation is what you really need. That's really going to make you happy. That's a wolf. That's a wolf. The shepherd doesn't talk like that. The shepherd pulls you back in where you belong. Jesus paid the price for you. He already laid down his life. He said the good shepherd lays down his life, and guess what? He did it. 
he did it. He faced the agony of being considered unclean. He faced sin. He took our sin upon him and became like a lowly, dirty shepherd when he knew, just like David, he was really the king. But he lowered himself, he humbled himself to be your savior. If you surrender yourself, you can enjoy the protection and the provision of the shepherd. We're going to pray in closing, and if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, if you don't have this relationship, it's very simple. Don't let people complicate it for you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And if you want him in your life, he will take over. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. We would be happy to pray with you and talk with you and encourage you. We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask the prayer elders to come as I close in prayer um, so that they are up here and ready to pray if anyone has a need or if you would like to um, pray for salvation or anything you would like prayer for. That's what they're here for, just to agree with you in prayer. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love, God, for your unfailing goodness to us, for the undeserved mercy that you promise if we will just surrender and allow you to lead and guide us in everything. God, I pray for hearts that are here that don't know you. God, that they would not wait one second. God, they're missing the joy of relationship that I know with you, God. It is the greatest love I've ever experienced. And I pray that they would know that too. God, we honor you, we thank you, and we praise you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.